So Ephesians 1, 15 to 19. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and in his incomparably great power for us who believe. And the next passage which I'm going to read, which I'm not going to get you to turn to right now, is Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Prayer is hard. It's one of the hardest practices for us to do regularly and embedded as part of our everyday rhythms, but it's one of the most important, which is why we're launching this series on prayer at the beginning of this year. Now, if you struggle to have a vibrant prayer life, you're definitely not alone. Many of us struggle, but many of us also at the same time recognise that it's important. Many of us want to understand it better, to know how to pray better, but the struggle is real. If you're like me, you'll have well, good intentions, you'll sit down with a cup of tea and you'll have like 10 minutes to actually pray. And as soon as you sit down, all these thoughts will start jumping up and down in your head. Like, as Henry Nouwen calls them, monkeys and banana trees. Now you'll probably remember that next time you sit down to pray. <laughs> and if all of a sudden I'll think, oh, the washing needs to be put out, or I need to call that per- per- person, or I haven't done that thing, And suddenly they seem so important and it's so annoying because these thoughts just seem to spring up from nowhere with such urgency. But the struggle actually goes much deeper than that, doesn't it? Prayer is something that many of us, I'm sure, have wondered at times, does it work? Do our prayers even matter? Does God even hear our prayers? Why are there so many prayers that are unanswered? If God knows everything, why do we even need to pray anyway? Most of us have read in the scriptures where Jesus says multiple times in the gospel, ask anything in my name and I will do it. And John, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. We see the same echoes all through Matthew and Mark as well. And these directions of Jesus are so direct and empowering, they should make us want to stop everything and just pray. But many of us, as Tyler Staten puts it, The experience of prayer so quickly exposes the wide gap between Jesus' very straightforward and audacious promises about prayer and our actual experience in prayer when we practice it. It winds up with us, many of us, concluding that it doesn't work like Jesus said it would. We feel disillusioned, disappointment. The truth is sometimes we don't even like to pray, even though we know somehow it's good for us. Or worst of all, you might feel shame because you think there's something wrong with you because you're not doing it right, because you're not seeing results. I'm the problem. To complicate this, there are many unhelpful teachings on prayer, many unbiblical teachings on prayer. 
And the more you look, the more questions seem to rise. And I've never met anyone yet who has admitted they've got a nailed prayer life. They've got it sorted. But if we believe the scriptures and we look at the life of Jesus, we see that to pray is vitally important. And as much as we might struggle with it, most of us recognise somehow we still need to engage. And it's a bit of this ongoing wrestle in our spiritual lives. We all need the constant help of the Holy Spirit to even be able to pray. So as I kick off this morning, let's just do that. Let's pray. Father, many of us come to this topic with all sorts of disappointment, disillusionment, with struggle, with unanswered prayer. Some of us are just going to shut off. But Lord, we ask that through your Holy Spirit, you would help us to see the way you call us to be with you in prayer. We ask that you would help us to see in a fresh way the importance of prayer and how we can pray in your name. Lord, would you refresh us in our spirits? And would you speak deep into our hearts this morning? Teach us how to pray. Amen. Now, I knew as I wrote the preaching schedule for this year, or the beginning of this year, that I would need at least four or five sessions on prayer. But as I was preparing for today specifically, I realised we could talk for half a year and still not cover all there is to say about prayer and the nuances and complexities and confusion around prayer. We will really only be able to speak about a few things. So this is by no means comprehensive, um, but there are a lot of great resources out there and we will be referencing those uh, as we go. There'll be some great books that I will recommend and I hope that um, you take what we say uh, in conjunction with many other things that we're going to be recommending to you. It's we all need to do extra homework and extra reading. Um, so, And we're actually relying on some of the other resources to cover some of the important things on prayer. And as I said, we're going to be starting with a four-week series on uh, prayer by John Mark Comer and The Way. And that is absolutely excellent material. And so I'm, I'm relying on you covering some of that material. Um, and I will send the link to people to listen to some of the podcasts that go along with that um, to help build this picture of prayer. So I would really encourage you guys to, to join in that. But today I'm going to look at one of the big reasons for why we pray. Just had to pick one, and hopefully it's the most compelling one, uh, but it's certainly not exhaustive. And next week we're going to look at how we pray. So today's why, next week is how. And I'm not doing a strict exegetical um, passage sermon today or next week because I'm painting a high view picture of um, scripture and what it says about prayer. But then in weeks three and four, we're going to dive into the Lord's Prayer and un to further unpack the how we pray. And we're really blessed to have Malcolm and uh, Michael digging into that text for us. And in the last week, I'm going to look at unanswered prayer. I'm beginning to regret putting my name down for that, but, <laughs> but also why it's such a struggle for us to pray. So that's a general just for the next five weeks. And today, as we approach why we pray, we're going to look at an invitation and a dance. But first of all, I'm going to take a sidestep and speak about happiness for a moment. Because it does actually have something to do with prayer. Believe it or not, most of us won't associate those two words together. We all long to be happy, don't we? As humans, we all long for those we love to be happy. Many on their deathbed just wish their family to be happy. Many who are speaking at their children's birthdays and weddings express their desire to see their loved ones happy. 
speaking with someone recently about marriage, they just want to be happy together. We want to live happy lives. And there's nothing wrong with being happy or wanting to be happy. It's actually a God-given desire placed deep within us. Back when I was an immature Christian, still am immature, but even more immature, I used to think, oh, it's not about being happy, it's about being holy. But do you know what? Being happy is actually a holy call. And John Mark Comer has done some amazing work looking at this as well. But we don't have the scope to pick up today. But our desire for happiness is a God-given one. And it's where we look to find our happiness that we can run into problems. Happiness found in relationships, in material possessions, in experiences, in having children. All those things have their limitations and will never fully satisfy our deep-centered desire for happiness. They'll never scratch the itch. And I know I don't need to tell most of you uh, who've been around in church circles for a long time that true happiness is only found in genuine relationship with Jesus. And, but in our heads, most of us know that. If we were all given an exam paper to write, we would all write, where is true happiness found? In Jesus. But most of us don't actually live in this truth. The truth hasn't gone from here in our heads to our hearts. Most of us continue to hunt for happiness in things that will never fully satisfy But as that passage in Matthew tells us, the way we find rest for our souls, for true contentment, for real happiness, is in walking with Jesus. Taking a yoke, meaning being saddled up next to, sharing the load of life with Jesus himself, a genuine relationship with him. Not a Sunday-only relationship, or sometimes when I feel like I'm in need relationship, but a genuine, everyday relationship intimate relationship. And I love Eugene Peterson's translation um, in the Message Bible of this passage. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Keep the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. And you'll learn to live freely and lightly. It's a very well-known passage, but and often talked about. But I just want to focus on this, keep company with me. That means a genuine relationship with Jesus. What's one of the key factors in a successful or an intimate, genuine relationship? Yes! <laughs> Gold stuff here, communication. I've learned that being married, uh, that through being married to Graham. And communication is something that we constantly have to do. We have to learn how to communicate with the other person. And our communication has changed a lot since we've gotten to know each other more and more. I told some of you before, our first big argument was in our first year of marriage. Embarrassed to say it was in disagreement on the purpose of the old covenant law. And I stormed out, <laughs> I stormed out for a few hours. But it was all to do with communication. We were communicating like this. We actually believed the same thing when we when kind of settled down and we had a good chat about it. We totally believed the same thing, but we were just communicating on such different um, ways and we seemed to be on the complete different page. Anyway, as we've gotten to learn how to communicate better with one another and how the other works, our relationship has gotten stronger and better. And I have not stormed out since. <laughs> and just like any relationship... Our relationship with God will only grow through communication, also known as prayer. And if happiness 
comes from genuine relationship with God, then prayer as communication with God is a route, therefore, to happiness. You see the connection? This is why we pray. We pray to know Jesus more intimately. We pray to develop our intimate relationship with God. And in doing so, we discover this deep happiness and contentment for our souls. It doesn't mean life will be easy. We still experience suffering and pain in this life, and many in this room will know that. But we have this deep-seated happiness in the relationship that we have in the Lord that sustains us through those trials. We pray to enter into the dance of God. Dance? Yes, I did just say dance. For those of you who know me, I'm not about to break out into a dance. Uh, You may know that I am not a dancer. I have never enjoyed it at university when friends would go out for a drink and a dance. It appeared to me that the only way to really enjoy a dance was to get totally plastered. And then it didn't matter how terribly you danced because you didn't care. So I would stand with my one or two other sober friends and do this kind of awkward side shuffle and just wait till we go home. (laughs) I do, however, really admire and love watching real dancing. Watching people who have trained and perfected the art of ballet and jazz, hip-hop, well-choreographed dance where their bodies look like they're fluid and defy gravity. That sort of dancing is amazing. And especially when you've got like two people dancing together and they have this chemistry, this fluidity, so well practiced and they're so good at it that although they're two separate people, they move like one form, one body. They're so in time and perfectly choreographed. And for me, I know it's not for Graham, but because we've had this conversation, figure skaters epitomise this beauty. What's this got to do with pre and God, some of you will be wondering. Well, Many theologians and dancers speak about the dance of the Trinity. One God in three persons. Don't glaze over as I say the word Trinity. I know it's tempting, but stay with me. We see glimpses of the Trinity in Scripture. Two are the most clearest moments in the beginning at Genesis, creation, and then again we see it at Jesus' baptism. Now we've spoken on this passage a couple of times in the last few years, so hopefully it'll be room. You know, familiar to you, but refresh your memory. Now, I did look up the page numbers for this. Flip forward to chapter th- Matthew chapter 3, 6. Would someone like to read uh, the few verses of Matthew chapter 3, 16 to 18? I think. Malcolm, will you read that? As soon as Jesus was baptized, at that moment heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Perfect, thank you. So there we see the Trinity. We see the Father, the voice of the Father, the Son going down into the water, and the Holy Spirit, the dove, descending on him. The Trinity, one God, but three persons. And theologians liken this three-person God to a perfectly choreographed dance. Three separate persons, but still the one God, moving as one. Don't try and get your head around it too much. You'll give yourself a headache trying to understand the Trinity. Because it is one of the mysteries of God. Our brains can't actually figure it out. But as Tim Keller writes, God... This will clear it up for you. God is not more fundamentally one than he is three. And he is not more fundamentally three than he is one. Does that clear it up? So even the brightest of scholars um, can't seem to 
say it in a way that we get it clear in our heads, but what we can get our heads around is that they are in this perfect choreographic dance, complete and in full happiness. C.S. Lewis writes, in Christianity, God is not a static thing, but a dynamic pulsating activity, a life, a kind of a drama, almost, if you will not think me irrelevant, irreverent, a kind of dance. And another theologian developed it further, speaking about the three glorifying one another. The, oh, I've skipped over these quotes. Whoops. The person within God, the persons within God exalt each other, commune with each other, and defer to the one another. Each divine person harbours the other at the centre of his being. In constant movement and overture and acceptance, each person envelops and encircles the other. God's interior life, therefore, overflows with regard for others. The Father, Son and Spirit are each centering on the other, adoring and serving them because the Father and Son and Spirit are giving glorifying love to one another. And because of this, God is infinitely, profoundly happy. Tim Keller says again, think about this. Um, If you find someone you admire, someone for whom you would do anything, and you discover that this person feels the same way about you, does that feel good? It's falling in love. It feels sublime when you realise that person that you really love loves you back. And this is what God has been enjoying for all of eternity, but in its most perfect and pure form. The Father, Son and Spirit are pouring love and joy and adoration into each other, each serving the other, infinitely seeking one another's glory. And so God is infinitely happy. And here's the crucial part. We have been invited to join them. More than that, we are created and designed to join this perfect dance. We find our ultimate happiness when we respond to this invitation and we enter into an intimate relationship with the Godhead. Ultimate reality is a dance. Who knew? To reference C.S. Lewis again, he says, what does it all matter? It matters because more than anything else in the world, this whole, this, is a, this whole dance, but all drama, or pattern of this three-personal life is to be played out in each one of us. Joy, power, peace, eternal life are a great fountain of energy and beauty spurting up at the very centre of reality. Entering this dance is where we find infinite happiness. Oh yes, Sarah, but you're talking about a holy, transcendent God. We're mere mortals and fallen at that. The most beautiful thing of all is that we are invited into this dance and made possible to accept this invitation because of what Jesus has done. He has given us not only this amazing invitation, but then he's made it possible for us to accept that invitation. I'm going to come back to that in a minute, but here's another thought to consider. If God is in this perfectly, eternally happy relationship without us, why would he even bother creating the world and mankind? He could have run the universe a whole lot more smoothly without us. He didn't need us to feel loved. He doesn't need us to feel happy, to glorify him. He doesn't need our love. He's fully satisfied within the Trinity. The triune God already had enough love within himself, far more pure than us humans could ever give him. He didn't create us to get love from us. He created us to give us love. 
This is a limited comparison given our fallen humanness, but before we had kids, Graham and I had each other, a growing relationship within which we felt love for one another, and we didn't have a child to give us love to make us feel complete. We had a child because we wanted to pour out our love that we had together on someone else. When our kids were born, we were inviting them to join the dance of our family that we already had in existence in our marriage. And it's amazing that they love us now, uh, but our primary reason for having kids wasn't to get love for them, but to give love to them. And Tim Keller puts it like this, he has created us to invite us into this dance to say, if you glorify me, if you centre your entire life on me, if you find me beautiful for who I am in myself, then you will step into the dance, which is what you were made for. So we're not made just to believe in God and give him our token religious worship. We're not made to enjoy the pleasures of this world and find our deepest meaning in things or human people with God on the side on a Sunday. Not just to be spiritual and pray when we need something or we need to do it out of duty and tick a box. Not even just to get a ticket to heaven. No, we're made to centre our entire lives on him, to serve him unconditionally, to worship him and to join in this dance. It's only in joining this dance that we will find our deepest happiness. This actually becomes the definition for success in our lives. Have you entered the dance? Are you entering the dance more fully each day? Success doesn't mean building a successful career or having that perfect family with 3.5 children and a house with a white picket fence. Success doesn't mean having a packed church with lots of shiny programs and all the bells and whistles. This is the world's definition of success. Real success, according to scripture, is us entering that dance, accepting the invitation to live our lives centred on God alone more fully each day, keeping company with Jesus. One of the best things I've discovered this year is the Bible in One Year app, and I had meant to take a photo of it, but I'll put it up next week. It's been put together by Nikki Gumbel from Holy Trinity and Alpha. I've spoken before about Lectio 365. Maybe I should get a job uh, marketing apps. But, um, that, and that is a great app, but this one's even better for getting volumes of scripture into your heads and hearts. Now, I have tried many times, here's a confession, to read the Bible through in one year. And um, many times, it's a New Year's resolution, and I'll start off with a hiss and a roar, and I'll get through Genesis and Exodus and sometimes Numbers, and then I'll always grind to a smoking halt by the time I get to Leviticus. Now, I may have read Genesis five times, more than any other part of the Bible, as a result. So when someone asked me, do I want to read through the Bible with them this year, I realised I need to try something different. And I found this app where you can get through the Bible in one year. And the best thing about it for me is that you can listen to it. So it's read by David Suchet, who some of you will know. He's the guy who's read the children's storybook Bible. He's a British actor and he reads so wonderfully with such wonderful uh, energy and intonation. And he kind of brings it alive in a way that some other readers don't. And I've noticed so much more listening to it than reading to it. When we read something, we often have all these ways that it it comes to you because you've read it the same way so many times. But when you listen to someone else reading it out loud, you pick up things. I've just listened to the book of Job, and I'm like, wow, I never saw that before. Um, And many times in Scripture we see the command to hear the word of the Lord. Listening to it out loud really does have this depth, so I'd highly recommend that to you. And you don't have to do the whole calendar year. You can start whenever, and it will just take you through a year to 
to get through the Bible. So thanks to this app, I have uh, stuck up my resolution every day so far. Check on me in six months' time. Um, And sometimes I'm unloading the dishwasher, sometimes I'm going for a walk. um, But I can really already feel the good that it's doing me for 20 minutes a day of just listening to the word of the Lord. So if you needed a new tool, I'd recommend it. Anyway, why am I talking about this? Well, a few days ago on the app, Nicky Gumbel, in one of his comments on the passage in Job, was talking about God's transcendence and imminence. Now, these are two theological words which most of us don't use every day in conversation, but quite simply are helpful for us as we consider this dance that we are invited into. So transcendence means God exists apart from and is not subject to the limitations of the material universe. He is above and beyond, surpassing and excelling, greatly superior to us. That's transcendence. And meditating on the transcendence of God happens, for example, if you go and sit outside and you look at the stars, and then you think the whole of the cosmos is not even big enough to fill the glory of God, to house the glory of God. You begin to get this like awe and wonder at the size and the majesty of God. Meditating on the, on the glory of God and then of the Trinity, having this dance, perfect and holy and glorifying each other and taking up the space of the entire cosmos. And then imminence, meaning it's possible to experience this immediate friendship of God, despite his transcendence. Despite his transcendence, God desires to be in this beautiful, wonderful dance with us. And he sent his son to this world. He himself came to die in our place so that we can be in the dance. He took our place in death so that we can be in his place in life. And this is what we especially contemplate in Easter. It's only when we begin to understand the transcendence of God that we contemplate his majesty and we see how amazing his eminence is and what a huge privilege it is to be able to enjoy an intimate friendship with God that we become captivated by the invitation to join this dance and prayer becomes a willing response to this invitation. A response because God has reached out to us first. Every prayer we pray is a response to a conversation that God has already started. I could have given you many reasons why to pray, but the most compelling reason, as I understand it, is because we are captivated and awestruck by the person of God and the invitation that he has not only given us, but made possible for us to accept. The wonder and the beauty of this invitation will propel us into prayer in a way that nothing else will. This is why in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus begins with, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Starting our prayers by contemplating and being captivated with the majesty of our Father will propel us into prayer in a way that won't if we're just doing it to tick a box or simply fulfilling our religious duties or praying because we need something or we're in a desperate situation. That will never turn us into a vibrant prayer life, friends. It will never be genuine communication. We'll never build genuine relationship with Jesus. Imagine, imagine if this is how you related to your spouse or your child or your parent. None of them would stand for it. If I only ever talked to Graham when I needed his help, or because I needed to talk to him for five minutes every day because that's what married couples do, or only because when I talked to him I would directly benefit from something, He wouldn't stay married to me for long. We communicate with one another to know how the other is, to know more about the other, to sustain and deepen our relationship. And prayer is no different. But we're going to talk about more more on that next week. 
For now, let's meditate on the invitation. The invitation into the perfect love and embrace of God. Where we will find true happiness. And the way we've been enabled to accept that invitation through the blood of Jesus. But before I close, it's just important to realise that as you start to pray, perhaps for the first time or perhaps for the first time in a while, unless you've had a profound conversion experience, sometimes we do simply start praying because we know in our heads that it's the best thing to do and we should. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with starting it like that. And as we embark on a renewed prayer life this year, we may not feel like it's anything different. We may not feel immediately in awe of the invitation But as we keep showing up each day in obedience, stepping out to pray, we will be moved from the sense of duty to the sense of delight. And in fact, there's actually a book written about prayer that reflects that called Finding Our Way Through Duty to Delight. This is the journey of prayer. If it starts at duty and it stays at duty, it will always be hard. If we continue to pray and learn to pray in the way that Jesus has taught us, If we allow ourselves to be captivated by the invitation as we meditate on the transcendence and the imminence of God, we will be moved from duty into the delight and prayer of God. It becomes life-giving and a real joy to pray. So before I close in prayer, to recap today, we pray to enter into this beautiful, fully satisfying relationship with God, the only place where we find rest for our souls, the only place we find true happiness stepping into the dance which we have been created to do, accepting this invitation made possible by God himself. And to pray is to build relationship with our creator, the maker of all things, to respond to a conversation he has already started. This, friends, is why we pray. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. My prayer for us today as I finish is using the words of Paul in his prayer for the Church of Ephesians. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us to believe. Help us, Father, this week to meditate on your incredible transcendence, your majesty, your power. Help us to understand the magnitude of this invitation so that we may know you better and find our delight in you. Help us to redefine the measure of success that the ultimate meaning in life is found walking with you, keeping company with you, And Lord, may this be our motivation for prayer.